what our crowdfunding side is doing is the due diligence. We're making sure you're in the right water district. We're making sure you're in a good soil. We're doing that due diligence to make sure you have a good piece of property and you're going to get a good return and that, you know, it's in the right area, the right appreciation. Hi, you're listening to Ready to Scale, the second season of That Really Happened. This season is focused on APS of real estate, asset, process, and strategy. Each guest on the show will reveal the assets they invest in and why they chose to do so. From multifamily to industrial, self-storage, mobile home parks, and more. Then, they'll uncover the processes, tools, and systems they've used to build multi-million dollar businesses. And finally, they'll uncover new, unique, and exciting strategies to invest in real estate. From co-working to buy and hold, fix and flips, co-living, and much, much more. Now let's get the show started. Hey guys, welcome to Ready to Scale. I'm Ellie Perlman, your host, broadcasting from sunny California. When I'm not behind the mic, you know it, I buy multifamily properties with passive investors who partner with me on my deals. So today, I'm happy to host Brendan Silvera. So Brendan is the fourth generation farmer and real estate investor, and he graduated from California Polytechnic University with an agriculture degree in farming, variety of crops. Brandon has bought and sold millions in real estate and currently manages over 100 million in assets. And his farm management company was recognized in 2012 for achieving over 900% growth and also was named one of the fastest growing companies. It was the only agriculture company on that list. So Brendan's speciality is in farm management, land acquisition, and a variety of farm and land financing and strategies. And he launched Farm Founder, a crowdfunded platform offering equity investments in farmland and agriculture facilities. So I would like to welcome Brendan to the show. Hey, Brendan, how are you today? Good. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. So you're investing in farmland. How did you get into it? Well, when I was younger, I didn't think I had a choice. You know, our family come from a long line of farmers. And so I figured that's what I was going to do. I didn't know it was going to be this fun and I didn't know it was going to be this lucrative, but it's been a really good time. Well, you're fourth generation then. So your entire family has been buying farmlands pretty much for a few generations now. Yep. It started great grandparents came over were Portuguese and they started a dairy farm. That's been long gone now, but we still stuck around and do mostly uh, row crops and uh, permanent crops. Mm-hmm. How old were you when you started? Oh man, you know, you have those stories of, of sitting in the tractor when you're eight, nine years old and kind of learning the business. I, I didn't realize I was learning at the time. I was having fun, but I really got serious probably in 2004 I decided that farming was what I wanted to do and I wanted to expand that. So I leased some property, I took a little bit of a break for a few years. And then in 2007, 2008, just got very serious into acquisitions and expansion. Let's start talking about the asset part of farmland. How does farmland investing work? Can you walk me through that? Sure. You know, if if you're an investor looking to purchase farmland, 
there's really only a few ways to do it. You know, you could have a lot of capital and buy, you know, a farm. You know, if you have a couple million dollars, you can go out and buy a farm, hire someone to manage it. There's a couple of different REITs out there that you can buy into, which the liquidity is really good in a REIT. So there's a REIT, uh, Farmland Partners, another REIT called Gladstone Land, both publicly traded, you know, great REITs. They have some really good properties. Or uh, what we do, uh, you can do crowdfunding, which you can look for a piece of property that really tickles your fancy, I guess. And if, if, if it's something that you enjoy and want to invest in, you can invest through crowdfunding. So if I'm an investor and I find a deal, let's say I invest with your company, how does it work? Basically, you know, what generates the returns or is managing it? Is it similar to student housing and multifamily that you basically have some income coming in? And so how does the whole thing work? Sure. Yeah, it's farming is so different. And anyone who's used to multifamily or commercial, oh man, it's great having that monthly check. Farming, you're not really going to have that. You can lease the farmland back to a farmer, which you'll probably get an annual payment once a year. Some people do some monthly stuff, but it's not really common. Or you can buy the farmland, hire a farm manager to, to farm it, And then uh, when you sell the crop, you get the proceeds from it. Got it. Got it. Interesting. So your company is basically, you find those lands and then you manage them and distribute also handle the distributions to investors? For example, right now we have a almond orchard that we're crowdfunding that the investors will own 100% of the almond orchard. And when we harvest the crops and sell the the almonds, uh, once all the bills are paid, the profits go back to the investors. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. You know, the land is owned by the investors through an LLC. So you also get to realize that appreciation. Got it. So how long do you hold the properties, the lands? Each property is different. We have a maximum of 10 years on this particular piece of property. Some may be about five years, some maybe seven. You know, I, I know you're real familiar with multifamily. And, and the best way I can explain this is just imagine if at the beginning of the year, all your renters decided uh, the weather was bad and they didn't want to pay you rent for the whole year, right? Oh, man. So that's kind of that's like farming, right? So, you know, the, the, the weather may be great and you may have a great return or, you know, you could have a, a bad year uh, with bad weather and not really make as much money as you, as you would like. And then one of the tricks is, is that, the next year, you have to put your money into that particular piece of property for another 12 months before you, you get the next return. You know, I always tell people, if you want to invest in farmland, you got to hold on to it. You got to ride out the waves because the good years are great and the bad years, you know, may not be that great. But as an investment over a long period of time, you know, farmland is just, just amazing. We've seen huge appreciation I think since the Great Depression, uh, farmlands averaged about 12% return. So it's been good. Nice. Are you talking about 12% IRR or or cash on cash or what metrics? Well, you know, they compare, when you compare since the Great Depression, I think you're looking at the appreciation and, and what these farmers are making. But when you're talking about cash on cash, it's really such, just like anything else, it's it's what did you invest in? How much did you get the piece of property for? Mm-hmm. 
you know, it's a lot, so many variables there. So Brendan, what surprised you? Was there anything that surprised you about farmlands? I mean, you grew as a kid around farmlands and it, it looks like it's been there in your family for generations and basically forever. What would you say is the thing that surprised you the most when you got into the business? I think I looked at farmland or farming as a way of life. I never looked at it as an investment until I really started looking at investments outside of farming, single family residences, the commercial properties and whatnot. And once I started comparing cap rates and return on investments and then looking and taking those, those metrics from the commercial side to the farming side, I realized, oh, wow, okay. Now I'm seeing why some of the institutional investors are coming into this. Now, now I'm starting to see why these land prices are fluctuating in certain geographical areas. And I just got super intrigued. It is an asset like anything else, even though I think the good farmers, it really is a, a way of life. But farming as an asset is, is pretty cool to add to your portfolio because of the, just the diversity. And where, where do you invest in what markets? So currently, 100% of our holdings are in California, the Central Valley. Mm -hmm. we're, you know, we're, we're heavy into almonds, grapes, walnuts, permanent crops. We have the best return on. We also grow some tomatoes and different row crops. You know, they have a tendency to have a lower return, but you know, you get to plant a new crop every year. That's pretty cool. So if you have a bad year in a permanent crop, then you, you know you're stuck with it for a couple of years till the till the price comes back up. Got it. So let's switch to the strategy part of our interview. So what's the strategy behind buying farmland assets? I mean, what do you what is the best strategy that you found that worked best for your company? Either the strategy behind buying specific, you know, farmlands or the strategy behind purchasing and executing the business plan? I think mostly it, like any real estate investment, you have to take your emotions out of it. And, and the numbers, mm -hmm. the numbers are just, they never lie. I mean, <laughs> that's, the, that's the truth. In, in farming, there's a lot of emotion in the fact that a farmer may really want the piece of ground across the street and it will buy, uh, they'll buy that piece of ground, even though it may be a little overpriced or the crop that's on it may not be the best crop, but you know, it's across the street, right? So, so that's something that doesn't really happen in, in the commercial world, right? Where, where you have someone who owns a strip mall and they don't really dream about owning the strip mall across the street, right? So I, I think you have to, especially in farming, especially if you're really connected to this business, you have to take the emotion out. For example, wineries are big and a lot of people are intrigued with wineries and grapes. Well, the wine market today is not great. So you may really want to own a winery in Napa, but that investment is probably pretty poor today. It may not be uh, five years from now, but right now it, it's poor. So you really got to go by the numbers. Where do you go to see those numbers behind? I mean, I'm trying to understand behind your strategy of which farmlands to purchase. What do you use to get information? So basically, like anything else, I run comps. You want to run comps on all the surrounding farmland. You want to do your due diligence. And that is, you want to see what the crop history is. Just like, you know, any other asset, if you look at looking at a rent roll or something like that, 
you want to see what, you know, what did these almonds produce last year and the year before and the year before? You can get a, you know, a good gauge on whether, you know, you're going to make money in the future. Was it managed correctly? You know, is, is there a chance that they're going to produce larger yield next year? Water is huge in California. So you, you have to do your due diligence on wells. Yeah with your water stocks or any, any district that you're in, you, you have to know that every year you're going to be able to irrigate that crop, but not just irrigate it. It has to be financially feasible to pay for that water and put it on that crop. And, and we've seen some huge fluctuations in California where even in the last few years from the last drought, we've seen property prices plummet because the water prices have skyrocketed in that area. So if mm-hmm. it costs you more to, uh, to grow that crop, then obviously the price of that ground's got to go down. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I want to talk, I want to kind of move to the process side. And you mentioned earlier that you're using crowdfunding to finance the farmlands. So can you walk me through how that works from both your side as a sponsor using crowdfunding and also from a passive investors, you know, side when they're actually using that platform, how does it work on both sides? Sure. So from an investor point of view, what our crowdfunding side is doing is the due diligence. We're making sure you're in the right water district. We're making sure you're in a good soil. We're making sure all the things that you're, you're not going to, know or know how to do or would take you forever to learn we're doing that due diligence to make sure you have a good piece of property and you're going to get a good return and that you know it's in the right area the right appreciation so you know that's kind of where it's at from the investor side from the sponsor side we really need alternative capital in the farming world it's just very hard because farming is is such a unique asset there's not banks lined up to to finance you and there's a lot of farmers out there that, you know, have a piece of property, they need capital, would love to have investors come in and farm that property. The crowdfunding model is, I, I think, is going to be in the future a great way to, to raise money for some of these growers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that that's an excellent way of, you know, sourcing capital, especially since, you know, conventional banks and and agencies are not lined up to finance those assets. So so basically what you do is 100% is capital. You use 100% of capital to purchase the the properties? Yeah, so so right now we'll use 100% of uh, investor investments to purchase the property. And there mm-hmm. are certain banks that will finance these properties, but we don't, we don't recommend a large LTV. You know, you don't want to uh, own to value. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want, uh, you know, an 80% like you would in a commercial property where you, you have some real strong tenants because, you know, like I said earlier, there are fluctuations in, in this price and weather and uh, disease or anything that could possibly happen. So on the crowdfunding side, we don't really recommend more than 40 or 50% debt on a piece of property. And to start off, we're not holding any debts on our property. We'd like a little bit of appreciation, then, then we'll finance a little bit out just, just for a safety net. We want to make sure that, you know, 
investors are safe and they and they and they see a good return on these assets. And before we move forward to the last part of our interview, what would you recommend to an investor that wants to get into farmland? What what should they do? What should they look be looking for? Wow, that's a such a loaded question. Well, I, I think first of all, realizing that farmland is is something that would be good in your portfolio, especially with so many people, the population going up, and with farmland actually shrinking. I really do think farmland in general is good, but I think there's a lot of different things for an investor. Geographical area, and you know, are, are you from Texas? Do you want to invest in Texas? Do you care where you know where you're at? And you really have to spread your risk out. I, I wouldn't invest all my money, uh, say, in the Midwest in corn and soybeans. You know, for example, right now with the floods that we had last year, and then with uh, tariffs and whatnot, that's not necessarily a great investment. I think you should. I think you should spread that risk out. And, and by spreading that out, it would be geographical area as well as different commodities. All right. Well, Brendan, thank you so much for speaking with me and sharing your information about Farmland with my listeners. So the last part, we have the lightning round questions. Are you ready? I guess. <laughs> All right. Number one, what's your favorite hobby? My favorite hobby? Oh, man. That's, I work a lot. But... I love to fly. I have my pilot's license, so I like to fly mm. around. So that's probably my number one favorite hobby. Very nice. What do you fly? I fly a little four-seater, uh, mostly. Mm. I like to say I use it for work to check on the crops from overhead, but mostly I, I come down to Santa Monica and Vegas. Ah, oh, very nice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Number two, what is the number one thing people don't know about you? Oh, man, that is so tough. <laughs> I used to be in a band. How's that? Ah. Yeah. Oh, that's very cool. A rock band? It was a country band, yeah. That's that's probably the only thing that people would know about me. That's very cool. Do you miss those days? Obviously. <laughs> hard. Playing music's easy. All right. Number three, what do you wish you had known when you started out? I really wish I would have known the financials like I do now. You know, when I first started out, just like anything, I, I saw something I liked and I bought it. And, and now uh, numbers rule the world. Right? If the numbers mm. don't add up, then you don't buy it. I, I, I wish I would have been way more educated 20 years ago than I am now. Or yeah. that I was, you know, it's amazing what you think in hindsight, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can totally relate. Number four, what's your number one advice for a real estate investor who wants to scale their business? Oh man, scale their business. Uh, the only thing I can think of that's ever worked for me is just never stop. Mm -hmm. You have to love it and you have to be addicted to it. If it's Sunday, I'm still, I'm still working. And if it's Saturday, mm -hmm. I'm still working and you just have to truly love it. If it's, if it's a task in any way, shape or form, find something else to do because yep. it's got to be fun. Absolutely. I agree with you 100%, 100%. Last question, how can people get in touch with you? So the best way would be to check out our website. It's Farm Funder, and that's F-A-R-M-F-U-N-D-R.com. And you can get a hold of me at info at farmfunder.com and I'll answer any questions you got. 
All right, perfect. Well, Brandon, thank you so so much for chatting with me. It's a it's a 4 p.m. my time on uh, your time as well on Friday. So starting to get late, but as you as you mentioned, we work all the time. Sunday, Monday. I always say that my weekends, you know, every day is a Monday for me. So every day is a Monday. So I could totally relate to what you were you know talking about. We're harvesting almonds as we speak, so we'll be working seven days all the way until probably the first of October. Mm-hmm. Well, best of luck. Thank you so much again for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate it. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.